0: Our second reading from Romans chapter 4 is the text for today's message. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake only, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace and
1: peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for today's message is the epistle lesson from Romans chapter 4 that Pastor Arp read for us just a few moments ago. Well, as we enter into this season after Pentecost, Made Right is our sermon theme. And today we are taking a look at the right promise from God. Believe it or not, this makes a very large difference in our day-to-day lives but we will get to that. Now, today's text comes from that fourth chapter of Romans, and here we see that the church in Rome, both a mix of Jew and Gentiles, is struggling to properly understand this big theological term that Paul uses at the end of the text, namely justification. You see, justification is simply a legal term that says you have been tried in the court and you have been found not guilty. But is justification only for the Jews, or is it for the Gentiles as well? And here Paul's message is very clear. Righteousness comes by faith, and thus righteousness is both for the Jew and the Gentile alike, and to drive this home, he uses the example of Abraham to make his point. Now at this moment, it seems like Paul's letter is probably more focused to the Jews, but frankly, we Gentiles need to hear it, for it makes all the difference. So firstly, who is Abraham? Well, there isn't time this morning to recall a detailed history of Abraham, but he is initially introduced to us in Scripture as Abram, a man who lived post-flood in the land of Haran. And it is here that the Lord comes to him and tells him to pack up and go to a land that I will show you. So Abram packs up everything he owns, his wife, his servants, even his nephew Lot, and he departs for a land that is unknown to him, a land that we now know is Canaan. Abram obeyed because he has faith in the promise of God that he had received before he went. The promise is this. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. A great nation. Well, that can only come through the birth of a son. Perhaps that's why Abram packed up so quickly and left. He wanted to get started on this new land and get this nation going. Now, the story of Abram goes on for about 12 chapters or so in Genesis, and it is clear that throughout these chapters we see that Abram is not perfect. There were times when he didn't honor God, and in short, Abram was a sinner. Yet God maintains his covenant with Abram. Why? Because Abram believed God's promise. And never abandoned his faith in that promise to make him a father of a great nation. Now, Abram was not in himself righteous, perfect, and blameless. But God treated him as though he were. His faith in God was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, because of his faith in God and in God's promises, God saw Abram as something other than what Abram had proved to be. God saw Abram as righteous. In Genesis chapter 17, God changes His promise to Abram a bit. And to signify the magnitude of this change, God changes Abram's name to Abraham. As He says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means the father of many nations. And that includes you. Now, if you'd like to brush up on Abram turned Abraham, you can read Genesis chapter 12 through 23, but the key point here is this. The promise to Abraham is that he would be the father of many nations. And as Paul writes in our text, the heir of the world. That heir of the world comes through faith. Not the law. For one can physically father one nation, but the father of many nations? Well, that means that the kingdom of God is accessible to all only by faith, not by physical lineage. Consequently, Paul writes, the promise rests on grace be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It is by this shared faith in the promises of God that Abraham becomes the father of a multitude of nations. Now, the big question that Paul answers in our text today is this. How are we saved? Well, the world has taken the right answer to this question and has twisted it in many different ways, giving us many wrong answers. The first wrong answer is this. Well, I tried my best to live like a good Christian. That seems okay, but why is that wrong? Why is that the wrong way to be saved? Well, Paul is rather succinct. He writes, The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If we were able to obtain our salvation by living a good Christian life, then we would be justified by upholding the law. But a quick glance at your life and mine Shows you that it simply cannot be true for you. It simply cannot be true for me. We are sinners. Upholding the law is not going to save us. The second wrong answer is like the first, but it adds to works the component of faith by saying, Well, I believe in God and try to live like a good Christian. And this too seems right, but it is actually commingling faith and works together. Are we to have faith and good works? But of course, by all means. But anything that you add to saved by faith alone for your salvation ruins saved by faith alone. For you cannot keep the law. If you try to add works to your faith, you taint it. And you ruin its power to save. The third wrong answer is something heard quite often. I believe in God with all my heart. And this too seems good. But this statement actually turns faith into a work. It's another form of salvation by works, for it says that I create my own faith. It denies that faith is a gift from God himself. It is claiming that faith is something I generate to make me holy before God. And you will know when you've done it. Because Satan will come whispering in your ear, are you sure you really have faith? Because your life doesn't look anything like it. And then our hearts sink So what is the right answer? Well, you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, lest anyone may boast. Faith is a gift. It isn't something you generate. And when you realize that faith is a gift given to you by God himself, a huge burden is lifted from your shoulders because you're not responsible for generating your own faith in Christ. And that leaves you with just one thing left to do. And that is to give thanks to God for the faith He has given you. For faith is a gift from God. And what does God do with the faith that He gives you? Well as long as you don't reject it We see the theme of our sermon, made right. By faith we are made right because of Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. By faith we are seen by the Father as perfect children and heirs of the world. So what is saving faith? Like Abraham, it is believing God's promises. It isn't faith and obedience. It isn't faith in faith and obedience. It isn't faith in faith. To have faith, saving faith, is to believe and be fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised. To have faith and to know that our reality is much greater than how we feel or how things actually appear. It isn't just focusing on the facts of God's Word, but to trust in the bare Word of God. And how do we know that we are acting in the faith given us concerning God's promises? Well, are you enjoying the freedom that has been given to you? Do you realize that you've been freed by Jesus from the death sentence for your sins? That is an amazing thing! Are you celebrating with joy the news of your salvation by faith alone? Faith that is a gift of God? Or are you wandering around saying, Woe is me! Are you following God's command to make disciples? Are you sacrificing for the kingdom with your brothers and sisters to go and make disciples? Do you actively seek daily renewal and forgive as you have been forgiven? In other words, do your actions bear witness to what you believe? Well, if you have been honest with yourself in response to these questions, then the right and proper response is to repent. For that brings God's promise of renewal. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's acting by faith. So take heart, even after all those questions. Abraham wasn't perfect, yet God credited to him his faith as righteousness. Abraham was able to look at his mistakes and say, this has reminded me that my only hope is to trust in God's promise and to trust God to fulfill that promise. For God is able to do what He promised. And what is the promise of God? Well, to be an heir of the world. How? By faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Being an heir of the world means that you receive faith. Receive by faith faith. That you have received God's promise to send a Savior who is Jesus Christ your Lord. Being an heir of the world means that you receive by faith that you have a Savior who has bled and died for you on the cross. He has taken on the consequences of your sin so you don't have to. Being an heir of the world means that you receive by faith that you have a risen Savior has conquered death death is no longer something to be afraid of but more than this you have a promise of renewed life a resurrection from the grave life eternal with God face to face forever where there will be no more tears no more sorrow No mourning and no death. Being an heir of the world means that you receive by faith that there is a new heaven and a new earth to come. A truly perfect future for you. That's what it means to be an heir of the world. It isn't just getting to heaven, it is eternal life after the resurrection. And all this depends on God's grace that we receive by faith, that guarantee that we are now offspring of Abraham. He is also your father, which means that we too are now heirs of the world And even more than that, it means that in each and every facet of our lives, we have a deep and abiding security that is unparalleled and unequaled. It is a security that can never be ripped away from us. Because faith means that you simply have true hope. Even when it seems all hope is gone. Faith is the ability to face anything and say, I still have God's promises and that is enough. Faith is life everlasting. Even when all we see is death, it makes all the difference. I have a niece right now that is studying for the bar exam. And while she isn't worried, she is concerned. But whether you are worrying about an exam that determines your vocation or you are beside the bedside of a loved one who may not make it, or you're so very tired as you enter the next chemo treatment or the next radiation treatment, or you're caring for someone who is going... to through these things or maybe even facing being martyred for the faith you can rest in the peace of God that you now have by faith for by grace through faith in Jesus Christ you have true peace with God can you even imagine true peace No conflict whatsoever. This made right with God is essential for our eternal life and it is tied directly to His promises. His promises that are true. Your sins are forgiven. You've been brought into the kingdom of God as an heir. An heir to the world. The new world. And as such, you have a great new identity as a child of the Heavenly Father that comes with it the complete assurance that God can and will make His promise come true. That promise of eternal life. (laughs) Wow. (sighs) Peace. Thanks be to God.